Welcome to our Agile Tales, where we share the various successes and trials we have encountered as we navigate corporate levels and political waters to transform the business to be adaptable to this forever changing world. We are continuing our conversation with Mirko Kleiner. Mirko is a thought leader in Lean Agile Procurement, and his work landed him the 2018 Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply Award. He is the president of Lean Agile Procurement Alliance, co-founder of Flow Days, is an Agile Enterprise Coach and a certified Scrum at Scale trainer. He is the author of the book, Lean Agile Procurement, How to Get Twice the Value in Half the Time. Please welcome Mirko Kleiner as we chat about the next stage of business agility, scaling agile cross companies. Hello, Mirko. Welcome back. Thanks so much for having me again. In the last episode, you outlined how you brought all the potential vendors into the workshop and that the workshop was also a form of selection criteria. You were assessing how you were collaborating with them, as well as their values, expertise, and so on. And if they behaved in a way that didn't espouse your values during the process, then you can also turn that moment into a coaching moment. That just blew my mind because... One, I never thought you would be coaching your vendors in this scenario, right? I'm going back to the initial phase. You know, when you say we're going to address your concerns to all these vendors in this open kind of format, I'm sure there are some who are skeptical about this and say, hey, yeah, that's a pipe dream. This probably won't work. How do you address that kind of skepticism with vendors? Well, I'm a strong believer of pull. So if somebody doesn't pull, And, you know, it's a supplier. They want to make revenue, right? They need to pay salaries. So if they are too skeptical, we usually don't convince somebody. If they feel really not comfortable, we do our best to make it comfortable to everybody. But sometimes they are not a fit to this approach. And it's like a very early test. And so if they are not a fit to this big room and this approach in our procurement, then they won't be a fit in agile ways of working throughout delivery. So instead of wasting their and our time throughout the very huge effort for this, you know, creating proposals and everything traditionally, but also in our scenario, let's be lean. That's the lean part of it. If it's not a fit, sometimes it's very rare, but sometimes there is, after the first hour, we send one of the vendors home. They won't make it. So why we should waste their and our time? And by the way, it's also a very strong signal to the others. Got it. So in the end, you do actually select partners that have agile values and principles, and they may not necessarily know it, but you're looking at that behavior and accessing that in these discussions then. Yeah, Yeah. except in software, where I would expect that now every software vendor has a certain maturity in agile and scrum and whatever. Still, there are vendors they haven't applied it. Majority of our cases, if you think about construction, if you think about manufacturing, the best thing they know is lean. So they usually have no clue what we are talking about if we want to apply agile throughout delivery. So it's really about their behavior and culture fit that we are testing. Do we think that they have the foundation to make this work throughout the agile delivery? Also on the buyer side, as we discussed before with, you know, finance, procurement, they usually have no clue about Agile too. So it's a journey for them, but the responses we get is nine out of 10 recommendations 
you know, the internals, but also the vendors, nobody wants to do it differently anymore because it just makes sense. So in the end, you have all these vendors and they're all co-creating this procurement contract with you. What happens to the vendors who lose at this point once you decide it? Um, yeah, good question. So what is interesting, if you think about it, traditionally, we send out tender documents and we get proposals. In the best case, a pitch, we then select one vendor. Now, what happens in the big room is, and it happens more and more because it's complex, we don't know if some of the vendors have complementary services people, capabilities, products. So sometimes we know that in advance and we say, look, find your LIE. That's a task. We're going to select two and more. But if it's software, it's not as super, super complex, then still the case could happen that just one fits it all. And then we award them, we sign the contract, and the others know why they didn't make it. Because we have every other hour, we have a peer feedback session where they know their strengths, uh, where we ask them for feedback, how they felt, and so forth. So we almost never have discussions because the vendor, you know, it becomes obvious. If you see your competitors in action and you say, wow, their capability, wow, their product, wow. So they just know it, right? And by the way, also on the buyer side, this cross-functional team, it's usually one voice. It's very rare that we have one outliner or so that has another opinion. One more thing to mention, sorry, as this is kind of a co-creation, right? So we co-create the proposal, solution design, etc. We create new knowledge. And if you think about it, and we did this again intentionally, right? We said, this is kind of consultancy service. So we should pay them. So it's not that we pay them. Sometimes, you know, if you invite one of the big four consultancies, they come with the boss, like 10, 20 people, and then an SME with just two, three. So we don't pay the man hours. We just pay a fixed price. It's just symbolic. But what we learned, and, and it turned out to be also from a legal side, makes a lot of sense. Because if you pay them, you own the results, okay? Especially if you're a bigger corporate, you need to protect your brand, and you don't want to have a shitstorm or whatever. This is also highly recommended. And it gives them also a good feeling, you know, they get paid. Recently, we had a response from a vendor. He finally was in the third place, one out of three, right? He had no chance to win. The people were lovely and the best team of the three, but their product was shit. So no way to win. So we asked them, that was a two days workshop. We asked them at the end of the day, we said, well, we are honest and transparent. So we need to tell them we don't want that they waste their time on day two. So we told them, hey, sorry, uh, we love you, but the product is not good enough, right? And they say, yes, we know. Uh, so what we do? Will you join us tomorrow? And there's no bad feeling if you don't want to show up tomorrow. And said, well, we love it. We want to be here. We have an opportunity to present ourselves. We have an opportunity to, to learn about your business from the competitors and so on. And uh, yeah, and finally, they uh, won other projects because they were just, you know, with other services and better products outside of Disco. Wow, that's amazing stories. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And by the way, maybe one, one other comment uh, in software, you know, 
if you have the people there that, that could do the job. So we ask for at least key people that might join our scrum team. So it's not just we delegate and you are responsible. Uh, it depends on the collaboration model we define, but usually it becomes a joint cross-company scrum team. So if you have those people there in delivery, we usually ask not for a regular pitch. What we do is proof of concept. So usually this big room is, it's recommended to have it on two separate days. You don't have to do it full days, but two separate days so that you can react overnight if something occurs. If we have two full days, we give them a backlog of the most challenging question. How would you solve that in your service, tool, software, whatever? What can you show us till end of day? At the end of the day, we have a public sprint review of this big room where we invite the key stakeholders, people in the CRP case, the, the accountants, the HR people came in, right? Now, this is how it would look like. So it's not just, yet yeah, our tool is perfect. We can do everything, blah, 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 the sales story. No, we have seen all your YouTube videos. How does it work in our context? And what we do with that is we test their commitment. So if they commit to something to deliver till end of day, uh, yeah, so the commitment, and if usually they fail, just natural, right? They overcommit, they didn't know the agenda, what happens in parallel. And then we test how they react on that. If they start to try to sneak out and uh, find some arguments, wrong partner. We can expect something similar in delivery. What we also test is what is the, the product capable so if those are the most challenging, sometimes even the most important needs that we need to cover, and uh, it's impossible, and, and one can just configure it, so let's just stay with software for a second, then we know most likely which solution to choose. And as we have the tech guys in our Scrum team on the buyer side, there the full days too, he just walks around, have conversations with the developers from the from the vendors. They show me your development environment. Oh, it's coding. Well, that's a weird programming language. And then with the other vendor, that looks like customization. Just clicky clicky. Can I do that too? Sure. So it's completely different assessment than just this polished sales stories. Wow. My mind is all over the place because in a previous life, I was an engineer in a marketing department. And when we would pitch, we would be silent. And so in this kind of scenario, do the people know that they're going to be expected to actually do a proof of concept? Do you let them know in advance? Oh, yeah. Uh, so that's part of the briefing. And, uh, you know, if it makes sense, uh, depending on the context, right, you don't have to do a proof of concept. It could be also, hey, these are the biggest challenges uh, we have. Show us how you would approach it. Uh, come up with a roadmap. Show us examples how you solved it uh, in another context for another customer, right? So it really depends. But what this objective of really testing their services with our biggest challenges leads to the fact that they bring the best people. Because that's not something the sales can do. And if they still come in with just the sales and the pre-sales consultant, and maybe a junior developer, you know how important you are to them. Awesome answer. Now, it seems like the lean agile procurement process is driven by the buyer. 
I mean, the buyer triggers this this process. And so you're talking the buyer, if the buyer is agile and how you actually select the supplier that is agile. Now, the devil in me is thinking the flip side. <laughs> what if the buyer is not agile, but the supplier is agile, then, then what? Does it mean the supplier is stuck? Well... No, that's why I changed the sides, right? So we need to make sure that the buyer side becomes agile. So tell you a true story. I, I'm also running an agile consultancy, right? So still we get approached by not agile leaders. We want to become agile. We want to have a transformation, blah, blah, blah. Multi-million, super complex project. Now, usually they ask us, do you have this kind of trainings? Do you have this kind of coachings on different levels? Do you have this amount of whatever, FTEs and so on? Said, so, yeah, sure. So they send us sometimes a hundred pages RFP document, right? Request for proposal. And then we just apply lean natural procurement the other way around. So what have we just spoken about? So we want to define outcomes. So speaking about our services is speaking about solutions, not outcomes. So we have invented the Lean Procurement Canvas, which you could just relabel in a Lean Sales Canvas, if you like, or Lean Proposal Canvas. And so what we usually do, no matter if it's 100 pages RFP with a strict format, usually you need to reply uh, your proposal. Our customers, they just get the canvas. It's a one-page proposal. Because it's, you know, it's it's complex. Why should we waste hours, days, weeks to come up with a 100 pages proposal that will, after day one, the first time we met with the relevant people, will be irrelevant? So we sent back this one-page proposal, the Lean Procurement Canvas, which basically has our services, which has our people available, which has our cost structure and, and daily rates and so on. But it also has our assumptions about the expected outcomes. It has the frame conditions, it's the guardrails we spoke about, and it even has an approach that we propose. Now, we sent this back with the request for a validation workshop. We can solve complex problems, and if it's just a proposal, <laughs> so we are basically asking for a big room, we all only can solve these complex problems together. So we say, look, we have invested one hour for this proposal. We would like to have one hour with your key stakeholders and especially the people we might work with in this actual transformation. And we would like to validate all our assumptions and you might have assumptions and concerns too. And we go in that meeting to close the deal in one hour. And if they don't accept that, we are out. Wow. I like that approach a lot. Now, my mind is, of course, is all in the uh, <laughs> devils. It's like, okay, what, right. what would, you know, what, what would be challenging to, to this kind of working together? Because in businesses today, unfortunately, the shareholder supremacy still reigns supreme, meaning people all about maximizing shareholder value, maximizing profits. Right, That yeah. kind of mindset drives the behavior to always find the cheapest thing, right? which basically now pitching the suppliers against each other in a more adversarial manner. Obviously, that flies against what lean agile procurement is all about. So hmm. does this uh, 
or 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 does it or it doesn't <laughs> yes and no yes and no uh it's interesting you know it's interesting if you think about uh i once came up with this analogy if you think about investing into a startup and the investment would be a hundred millions you have it on on your account you are the investor you are the shareholder and you think it would be worth it to invest a uh, hundred millions would you ever think about to transfer the hundred millions at once no never right no so you might buy some first shares for 1 million or 10 million and, and then see you know how it goes and if they achieve what they promise and so forth now if you think about it procurement we have one shot we buy a strategic sourcing case a partnership which is complex, like a startup. We have a lot of unknowns and risks by spending 100 millions all at once. That's the current approach. Now, if the shareholders understand that, we have invented an incremental sourcing because now it could be done in an hour, depending on the case, instead of six months to 12 months. Now, the currency is no more the spend so, or, or, or uh, improving costs, right? The currency is speed that matters, time to market, okay? Now, sometimes that doesn't mean we have no boundaries and we afford everything. That's not what we do. But sometimes we go with the more expensive vendor because we have more trust. It's the better product and they're uh, higher available and, and, and more likely to deliver in the first value already in the first sprint, right? The second thing is, and that's a misconception, if you think about traditional sourcing, these RFP documents, these tender documents, they're huge, and so are the contracts. That's a consequence because there is just one shot. We spent the 100 millions all at once. So we try to minimize risks by being as precise as we can, right? And so the contractual framework is also huge, and then the negotiation takes forever and so forth makes no sense if you have a lot of unknowns. So what we are doing instead is we focus on outcomes. <laughs> so in this ERP case, we ask for the most important business processes and we select the three. It was accounting, payroll, procurement. Not yet HR, we knew that will come next, but it was not in, as part of the scope. Having the focus made us faster we needed to select the needs, which is the what, not the how, just for three business processes. We did that in four hours with all the different business stakeholders in one room. Same principle. Now, again, so we have the, for example, OKRs, objectives and key results on the highest level. Now we have the needs. Well, if, if we focus on the needs, on this level of detail, on outcomes again, we need to prioritize those. We spend a bunch of time speaking about business value, the biggest risks, the biggest challenges, and the way we incorporate that. So for the very first time, at least in my career, we're adding business value points to user stories. And everything that has no or a too low level, usually the nice-to-haves, we don't source. So again, if you need to go to a CFO in terms of you know, savings or even the shareholders, we have a potential of savings of up to 80% by not buying the nice-to-haves. 
that's massive. So we become fast, weeks instead of months and years, and we have huge savings. Hey, man, we are sourcing the right things by having focus on the outcomes. How cool is that, right? And at the same time, we are minimizing risk with early feedback cycles and so on. I'm thinking, you know, how the traditional sourcing process, as you said, the RFP goes out, which is ridiculously thick, and then the proposals comes in even thicker, and then people usually just choose, well, the price is a huge factor in in that case. And so people Mm -hmm. will gravitate towards the cheapest, not necessarily choosing the cheapest, but gravitate towards that, always look at that first, Mm -hmm. right? But of course, you and I both know that cheaper is not necessarily better. <laughs> uh, exactly. So what you're telling me then is since nobody would want to spend basically $100 million in one shot, then you can actually introduce the lean agile procurement and through the steps that they actually participate in, this is not the first consideration that immediately come into their mind when they walk through these steps. Is is that correct? Meaning that they're not immediately looking at, okay, what is the price? And okay, no, let's take a look at the cheapest one first because of this co-creation process. Um, yeah. Is, am so I, that, am the, I right? That's absolutely right. So the focus is so much shifted to outcomes and I'm currently introducing a new word you know nowadays we need to start speaking about impact right so for society environment and so forth so we even start to rewrite the objectives in that manner on the other hand there might be some critical people listening to that and say yeah but i'm a commercial person and price still matters and and that's absolutely right so there is a budget Uh, there are very few companies out there that have got rid of budget but still then you have a range you say it's worth it to spend and if it's out of range that's maybe the wrong product the wrong partner so again we iterate on that with each of the partner right so and it starts with the briefing instead of saying hey we have 100 millions of budget can you do it for 100 millions we ask what is a usual project in that context what does it cost from two Tell us a range. That's still an opportunity to uninvite them. (laughs) Now, in the big room, we spoke about we are not just co-creating the proposals, we also negotiate. Now, I don't like the term negotiate because it has this cost focus, right? So we came up with a new term. We call it commercial conversation. It's more like a catalyst conversation, if you're familiar in agile coaching. So we ask questions like, what are cost drivers? What risks haven't we talked about it yet? And you would not believe how much savings we have created just by asking those questions. And uh, even, even though we even create the better solution because of that. Because sometimes there is a specification, an assumption, a need that somebody thought that's a good input to the vendor. But it's a nightmare to them to develop it, right? To map their product or service against it. And uh, if you don't know, that's very expensive. So still, if you have multiple parties, let's simplify again. Imagine we have three in the big room, three vendors. You get three numbers. Now you have two extreme scenarios. One is one's price estimation is so much below, far away from the other two. Then we need to talk about it. We don't tell them you're the cheapest, but we ask them, have you incorporated all the risks, right? 
why that cost is effective and so forth. And we do the same with the outlier on the other side of the range. And often it's some wrong assumptions. And again, just to remind you, it's not the sales guy who estimates. He might add the daily rates and the prices, but we get the estimations from the key people that will be involved in delivery. And boy, they don't want to cheat with you because they need to deliver against that that values and estimations. Wow, that is definitely a very different way of handling sourcing. I'm curious, when you're choosing partners or vendor suppliers, you're already choosing them that they have the agile values and principles. Now, throughout that partnership, how do we manage the partnership to be more agile? Well, if you are, just imagine we, the big room, we decided for a two days workshop, they can't hide. So we had several occasions where a vendor said, I'm 10 years experience in Scrum, super agile, blah, blah, blah. And then we gave them a staple of user stories and asked them for a relative estimation. And they have no clue what to do. And so we immediately stopped the workshop and make that a topic and say, but uh, why are you lying to us? said, well, I wasn't lying. Well, then you get all kind of arguments. Yeah, we have 10 years of experience, but it's in the other part of the organization or these guys are not here, right? I said, okay, interesting. Uh, But we ask you to to come here with the key people for delivery. So if they are not here, these other guys might not be in our project. So how we handle this? You guys go on a learning curve. You don't want to pay for that, right? So again, it's a very honest conversation. We just make things transparent, what we observe, and try to sort it out. Thank you for spending some time with us today on this episode. We hope you join us next time as we continue our discussion with Merkel Kleiner on the next stage of business agility, scaling agile across companies. Thank you so much for listening to our Agile Tales. Feel free to ping us on ouragiletales.com.